So how are you doing? Everybody doing well? I tell you, I saw some tears. I heard the clapping. I heard the aww moments every now and then with the pictures. Grand memories, aren't they? Great milestones, great markers in this history we have as a church. A history that whenever they decided in that prayer meeting on July 4th, 1954, to establish a church, to plant a mission, to meet this part of the Flint area, to to help bring the Gospel to all these people that were moving up from the South and as well as all these people that were already here. I think about what that took. What kind of gumption, what kind of meat that took to say, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to to start a church and, and, and to be with a church and help be a part of growing a church and reaching out to those that need the message of the church. I am willing to take the Gospel to a world that needs the remedy of Jesus. I, I think about that. And, and I have several friends and, and acquaintances, not only in this state, but throughout the, throughout the world, that, that are doing that very thing. They're planting churches. They're engaging culture and, and sharing the Gospel in the light of that. And, and one of the things that i found, whenever you get to that place, is you get to the place where you're out without excuses. Excuses don't matter anymore. You just kind of put them on the side and say, you know what? There's such an urgency for the Gospel, the message of Jesus to be heard by those that have never heard or those that need to hear one more time that I'm going to put aside every excuse. Because I see that there is a world greatly in need. And I want to have that urgency about my life that I don't want to be a person that makes excuses or gives excuses. I want to be the person that excuses bounce off of. I want to be the person that stomps the excuses down and says, no, I will go. I will stand. I will do it. That's the declaration I want to live. And that's the declaration we find as we get to Romans chapter 1. And I invite you to turn there in your copy of God's Word today as we read what Paul was writing to the church at Rome, this church that that he had longed to see and longed to visit. So would you stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word? It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version. You are certainly encouraged to follow along in whatever copy and version of God's Word that you have. But this is what it said. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so their bodies would be dishonored among them. 
And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, use Your Word. Permeate it with grace. Open it up as truth to our life because it is truth. And God, expose the areas that You are revealing to say this is the area that needs work in our hearts individually and collectively as a church. And God, do something within us that only could be explained and attributed to Your work, Your Holy Spirit being with us today. I ask that You hide me behind the shadow of Your cross and help me be Your servant. That not only would I teach these here, but You would teach me as well. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, when you read this passage in the book of Romans, it's, it's an interesting passage. It's an interesting select number of Scripture because it starts out very, very positive. Yes, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. Yes, it is the power of God and salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. And for in it, the faith, uh, for in it righteousness is revealed from God, the faith of faith. And it seems very positive, but then it seems like it's making a case and separating people out as an us versus them. And what Paul is doing when we get into context of what's happening, and what's very important for us to see the context of what's happening. If we just picked up a Bible in our day, in our time, with our experience, our history, our personality, and what we like and dislike, we could have all kinds of perceptions about the Scripture. We could have all kinds of interpretations, all kinds of ideas. But when we get into the context of what's going on, not only here in Romans, but the entirety of Scripture, we'll learn that it was written in a specific time, in a specific place, for a specific reason, amongst a specific people, speaking a specific language. And it caused a specific impact. And so when we learn that and, and start reaping out the truth in light of that, saying what happened then, what did God say then, and what did He specifically say, then we begin internalizing and saying, okay, this is what it means. If that's exactly what it means then, that's what it means today as well. It's not an ever-evolving thing. But it is able to see our hearts and pierce it. And what Paul is saying is he's making a case for the need such a great need for the Gospel. Not only in Rome, but all over the world. Just as today, as we're celebrating 61 years of a church that was planted in the Flint area, it wasn't just because we said, hey, there needs to be a church only here in Flint area. We saw there needs to be a church here and there needs to be a church everywhere. And we want to be a part of having the church here. And that expands the Gospel to all places because the world is in need of a remedy. And not just northerners who didn't know about Southern Baptists, and not just Southern Baptists that had moved up. Because you know what? There are unsafe people in the South, and there are unsafe people in the North, and there are unsafe people in the West, and there's unsafe people in the East. There's unsafe people of every creed, color, nation, and tribe. And they all need the gospel. Just like we did. The Bible is not making an us versus them. It is saying this is the case. Paul is presenting this is the case of what it looks like for a person that does not have the gospel remedy in their life. And he would also go on to say in many of his writings, such as you were, such as I was. He's not trying to say an us versus them. He's saying this is what it happens if you have the gospel. And yes, there is a difference when you don't. But there's a big reason we need this remedy. And we've been talking about it over the last few weeks. And this has developed. And we've talked about how Paul makes the case that, that the people without the Gospel, they're people that are receivers of wrath. Not only a wrath reserved for them one day when we talk about heaven and hell and thinking about hell, but it's a, it's a wrath that's already abiding on them. 
That sounds disappointing, but the Bible says the remedy that Jesus provides is He removes the wrath. And He takes it upon Himself and He placed it on the cross and He's already did it once and for all. And that we can trust that what He did was able to remove not only the wrath then, but the wrath today. It's a remedy for us. We've talked about how the need for the remedy shows that without the Gospel, without the truth being revealed, truth is then suppressed and pushed down and and tried to be hidden and tucked away. But when the Gospel comes and it reveals the truth of who we really are and the truth of who Jesus really is and what Jesus really done and what Jesus really says, then truth becomes unleashed in us. And it moves us to respond to Him, to say, here's the response. I can listen to this truth and I can totally reject it, that's a response, or I can totally receive it and submit to it and unleash its power in my life and respond to the gospel that saves. And we need that deeply. Last week we talked about how a world in need of the gospel and need of the remedy is a world that rejects the evidence of God. They look around and they see the ornate details, the order, the seasons, how they come and go, how 24 hours always is 24 hours. And they see the beauty of everything that is made in an order, and yet they can't acknowledge the existence of God. Or maybe they acknowledge the existence of God, but the God of the Bible they have trouble with because they can't acknowledge that the proof of everything, that the prophecies, the evidence of everything that points to Jesus being the very Messiah King, Son of God, fully God, fully man. They can't receive that evidence and they reject it. But for the person that responds to the Gospel, the person that has the truth unleashed, they hunger for this evidence. They hunger for these things that they can point others to to say, look, these things point to God. That yes, the Scripture is enough, but for some people, they need a reasoned explanation to even get them to even look at the Scripture in the first place. They have to respond to the Scripture for the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. But sometimes they need some things to point them to that direction. Once again, this is my little shameless ploy. That's one reason we use this little personal outreach tool here. The true life card. Starts the conversation by letting someone know that, yeah, I attend church. Yeah, I I feel like that's an important thing in my life and I would like you to be a part of it. And should you have any hard questions that ask, I'm going to give you a thing that's non-threatening. You can go on your computer and you can watch videos that explain some of the hard questions of life. What does the Bible say about depression? What does the Bible say about evil? Does the Bible say that God loves gay people or hates gay people? What what does the Bible really say? Because there are all kinds of things and crazy stuff out there. But we want to give people a a well-informed, a well-informed presentation for them to know exactly what the Bible believes. And this is high-quality tools that begins the conversation and hopefully moves to an evangelism tool for you actually sharing your story and pointing them to the Scripture. But for the believer, they rejoice in the evidence. And I, and I, and I pray that's what you're doing with those cards, not only helping people to understand, but also taking the information and learning yourself, letting the evidence be embraced in your life and and holding those things and say, wow, I have a firm foundation. I, I shall not be moved in my faith that no matter what kind of tides come against me, my house is built on a solid rock of the Word and the incredible evidence that the Bible says that God has displayed in His creation. But today, we're going to see that there's a place 
Well, the remedy reveals that, or the Gospel reveals, that those without Jesus are excuse givers. It says that they're excuse givers. Well, it actually says they're without excuse, but what that implies is that they were trying to make one. I, I shudder at the fact of how many people will try to make an excuse whenever they reach the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, I shudder at the fact of how many times I will probably try to make an excuse for the things in my life. If I'm honest. This is not me casting a stone at anyone. I shudder at the fact because when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, we are without excuse the only thing we can plead is, I have Jesus, and that is more than enough, more than able. But I, I think about this, this picture. But the Bible says that because God is clearly displayed, He's just clearly displayed His truth. He's clearly displayed His, displayed his evidence. That they are without excuse. Yes, there will be an attempt. Because how many times have you made an attempt? You ever try to make an attempt to justify your reasoning and why you did such a thing? Even though, even in your head while you're saying it, you're like, oh man, that's a stupid excuse. You ever done that? Now, I know that there are sometimes legitimate excuses. I mean, I know there's someone sitting in this room that the dog ate their passport. I mean, come on, that's a, that's a pretty good excuse. They couldn't get on a plane because the dog ate their passport. He really did. It's funny. But I, I think about how many times I've tried to justify my actions to my spouse or justify my actions to my kids when I did something stupid or my friends or, or my church or just those people close to me. And then sometimes I try to make an excuse for perfect strangers. You know, I try to excuse my faith. I'm sorry. I don't want to offend anybody. But we live in a world of excuses. A world that is lost is going to be people that give excuses. How do I know that? Because I've done that. So I can look in the mirror and say and testify that that's true. But I also can look at the Scriptures and see that it's testified as true. Because what did Adam and Eve do at the fall of man? Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. And the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. There it is. But they're, they're blaming. And at one point they even blamed God Himself. The woman that you gave me, so you made me this way. Yeah, you see what I did there. They blamed God for His actions. They blamed God for His supposed inactions. Well, why didn't you, God? Why didn't you just do this? Why didn't you just say this? There was a person in, in that Jesus spoke of, a, a rich man who would die and, and, and go to hell. And, and he, he, he pleaded that someone would be sent from the other side back to his brothers so that, that they would see somebody back from the dead and they would, they would choose to follow Jesus. And basically, Jesus, the, the response to the Scripture is that even if they see somebody back from the dead, they're not going to respond. Because they didn't respond to the truth that was already present. They didn't respond to what God had already said, what God had already done, who God already was. And yet, we feel like maybe we had the audacity to blame God. And that's who we once were. And sometimes those shadows of who we once were before we knew Jesus 
They reflect. They peer up their ugly heads. And that's why Paul reminds us to continue daily taking off the old man and putting on the new man. I think about how many people will have the excuse when they get to heaven and they'll say, Lord Jesus, I, I claimed Your name and um, I hated really evil stuff and um, I even did some good works. And they're going to be taken back when the fact that Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. That's a very gasping, troublesome thing to think about. Jesus says that, that that's, what's it, that's going to happen. There's going to be people that are saying, you know, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we help the poor? And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's, that's like taking a breath out of you. You mean those things don't get me to heaven? No, it's the knowing Jesus, the taking the time to say, God, help me fall on my knees before you and, and claim your forgiveness and your, and, your, and your relationship that you hold out before me. That may seem radical. That may seem weird. In fact, sometimes you may be sitting here, those that are seekers, those that are new here, those that are just coming because maybe your family invited you and you think, you know, taking really seriously the whole Jesus thing, the Bible thing. And this may not just be seekers. This may be like people that, yeah, I've grown up in church my whole life and I still think like people are weird that really love Jesus and, and are very serious about Him. I, I find that funny because they'll be like, yeah, I love Jesus, but, you know, going to church, not really that big of a deal. I'm not like a Bible thumper. I don't really know the Word and, I'm not really hung up on the whole sin thing and, and I don't make a big deal out of it. And, and really obeying Jesus, that just seems weird. But I love Him. Well, I was telling our Discover Life group this morning, that's funny. Because Jesus' response is, if you love Me, one, if you love Me, if you love Me, you'll obey Me. That's, that's pretty pointed. That may seem radical to you, but Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Jesus also said, if you love me, you'll love others that love me. He says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another, so that by this all men will know that you're my disciples because you have loved one another. And thirdly, not only will you obey Jesus, not only will you love those that love Jesus, but you'll take care of those that are under Jesus' care. You'll tend His sheep. You'll feed His lambs. When Jesus was asking Simon Peter, do you love me? And Simon would say, yeah, Jesus, you know what I love? I love you. He said, tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. Care for those that I love. Not just loving in word, but loving in deed, loving in heart. I wonder how many excuses have been given. But at the same time, the Gospel, the Gospel reveals that by the power of God, the Gospel that is the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. When we take the time to understand who God is and what God says and what God does, and believe me, that takes time to really embrace that. It's not just something that 
you kind of come and everything is full knowledge and all of a sudden you're a full, healthy theologian that knows all things Bible. Believe me, I started with, I know Jesus loves me. I know Jesus is Lord. I know I need forgiveness because something's broken. And Jesus is the one that has provided the answer. I can trust Jesus. That's where I started. And by His grace, I've been able to grow. But we need to take the time to understand that because every other excuse falls short. Every excuse falls short. Well, God, this is my time. Really? I'm the infinite one. Well, God, I have my own resources. I can make it my own way. Really? You would rather trust yourself than the all-powerful one who holds all things in his hands? But God, this is about what I want and my pleasure and my joy. So me being the creator of all joy and pleasure is nothing big to you. God, I don't think you're right. Oh, really? The one who spoke and the cosmos happened. The one who formed humanity. The one that knit you in your mother's womb. The one that knows every word in detail before you ever even speak it. I couldn't possibly know what is right and wrong. Our world, our flesh, and our enemy always try to entice us with excuses. And the world without Jesus will always try to be susceptible to them, but they will fall short. But the world's answer to the sin problem is just merely redefinition. But God's ultimate answer is redemption. And here's the remedy. We can live continually in rebellion with excuses, or we can live openly in obedience with faith. And when we look at the cross, when we think of this Jesus, all that He did, all that He said, all that He is, willing to take away our wrath and along with it display the truth of of who He was and who He is, and all the while revealing and fulfilling all the evidence that was necessary to be fulfilled as the Savior, He also takes away every excuse to respond into His grace. He takes it away on the cross. By what He does, it should take away every excuse that we have by seeing that Jesus was willing, holy, uh, unsinful, sinless, and dying in my place, in your place, in our place. The cross takes away any chance, any stance on excuse. And all because of the grace of God. And so today, as we conclude this time, as we think about the remedy of this, the world that it needs the gospel, this, this remedy that God has provided, the power of God to salvation to all who believes, this remedy that says, you know what? My excuse has been removed by Jesus. And here is now my, my declaration. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to all believe. Because I believe that, I am renewing my declaration 
to trust Jesus, all that He is, all that He says, all that He does, because I don't want flimsy excuses in my life anymore. And if you're holding on to those excuses, I'm praying that God would open your eyes. I'm praying that you're not hearing blah, 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 blah. But that you're hearing the beautiful, awesome, holy, and yet loving you voice of God that says, I'm serious about my love for you. I am serious about what I was willing to do for you. And I didn't take any excuse. I removed them so that I could pay the price for you. Now what's holding you back? So today we're going to have this time of invitation. And we're going to do it a little differently. We've been doing this a little couple the last couple of weeks. But this is not just an invitation where the music's going to play and you're going to wait for somebody to walk up. We're, I'm going to have an invitation for the church. And you can certainly pray where you are. You can join me on these steps as a place of prayer. I would encourage you to do so. But we're going to pray for two things before we ever start singing any song. And the first is, God, may my prayer before you be that I have no excuses. Individually, as a disciple, and then as we gather together collectively as a church. May that be our prayer. And God, the second prayer is this. Help the excuses be wiped away from the lost so they can hear you and respond. So would you join me as we pray, as we bring back the urgency to where we were even first birthed as a church, to say, God, we wanted to see the lost permeated in this culture that you wanted to use us, and, and we want to revisit that. We don't want to just say, oh, we're 61 years, and that was a long time ago. No, that we were, we're going to go back to that place today. So would you join me as we pray for that? Lord God, I cannot even begin to count the times I've tried to use silly, stupid, pitiful excuses in my life. Where basically all it was saying is that I'm selfish and I'm sinful and I'm all about me. And so God, I, I know that I will not have perfection until the day that we meet at Your throne. I, I won't have that here. But God, help me by the power of Your Holy Spirit. Help me to banish and, and squash these excuses that rear their ugly heads. This old man that tries to tell me that this is what You want. This, that entices us. And God, may the excuses not only be removed from my life as a disciple, but God, I pray that as a church, that when it comes to standing up and saying, we are not ashamed of the Gospel because of the power of God for salvation to all who believe, I pray that we would take that and be willing to stand and say, God, we will do whatever it takes short of sin to be used for Your grace, Your glory, and Your glorious name. Because we don't want to settle for excuses anymore. Because we know they're stupid. We know they're sinful. And we know they're pathetic. When it comes to looking at you in light of all that you are, all that you've done, and all that you say. And God, you're calling us to live a life of faith. A life that steps forward. So I pray that you will help us by your Holy Spirit to do that. God, today I pray also for the lost in our life. 
And let us make no mistake, there are probably lost people in our life, people that we think have good hearts, and, and they, they may have good intentions, they may be good people, they may make us laugh, they may make us smile, they may make us cry, we may love them. But without you, they're lost. And without you, they won't, don't have an excuse to stand upon. Without you, they will face your judgment seat, and they will spend an eternity in hell. And if that does not disturb us, God, I don't know what will. So God, I am praying that you will help diminish and break down every excuse that someone has built their life upon and let them see that it was a foundation, a house built on sand. And God, if it takes a sweeping of your name and your nature across their life to get to the point to see your grace and your truth and your holiness and your love, I pray that you would bring it. I pray that for people that may be in this room today, that you would put if they do not know you, a holy disturbance in their life. Not because I want to be weird, not because I want to be mean, but because, God, I want them to know your great love. And, God, may they see around them as they look in your church open doors, open eyes, open arms, open hearts, saying we're willing to share with you this message. And we won't let any excuse hold us back from doing so. God, do what only you can do in this time. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.